We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And we are doing this. This is the podcast known as What's the Good Word, a podcast about Georgia Tech athletics by Georgia Tech alum and fans for Georgia Tech alum and fans. My name is Stephen. I am the alum. His name is Joshua. He is the fan. Joshua, what's the good word? To hell with Georgia, Stephen. Always and forever. Amen. And we are going to talk about a lot of different sports today. Yeah, no, it's a very diverse show. Yeah, we uh, and I'm, I'm going to give Joshua full credit for this. We were talking off air about what we wanted to cover, and and we would love to cover every sport, every show, but we don't think you guys necessarily want a 45 to 55-minute show each week. We try to keep it around 30, uh, 30 to 35, maybe a little less, but we're, we're trying to keep it succinct, but today is one of those days we are going to call it a grab bag, call it a buffet, call it a... I like buffet. A, corner, a cornucopia. Ooh. Yes. Or in the bag. Yeah, or to show off where I'm an alum from, what era I'm from, you some of you might be thinking, would you say you have a plethora of stories that you're going to tell? So that's from uh, Three Amigos. Anyway, we're going to talk about a lot of different sports. We got volleyball, we got women's basketball, men's basketball, and then football especially going to be quick hitting. Uh, that'll be we'll do that last. There's a lot of little points to bring up as we prepare for the bowl game. So before we get into the first story, the other thing we must do that is becoming a tradition, I don't know how long it'll be a tradition, probably until WrestleMania, but we do acknowledge Roman Reigns, still the yes, WWE. I hope you're enjoying your vacation, Roman. Yes. The third one of the year. Yeah, exactly. But he's deserved it because he's been champ for three years. Never said he didn't deserve it. Just... Yeah. He, he is a former Georgia Tech football player, as you've heard us say. So, Tribal Chief, we acknowledge you. All right. Yeet. Let's yeet. Okay. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> I don't think Roman has said yeet. Okay, enough wrestling talk. It is time to talk about the volleyball team. The Yellow Jacket volleyball team did unfortunately go down in defeat in the regional semifinals against the number one ranked Nebraska Cornhusker team. They lost a three set match. Nebraska, by the way, is 32 and 1. Way we're 19 and 1 in the Big Ten. Georgia Tech finished their season 24 and 7, 13 and 4 in the ACC. They unfortunately, like I said, saw their season come to an end. It was the second longest run in the NCAA tournament in school history, tied with another a former team, I believe, since 2004. Uh, Michelle Collier is now 7 and 4 overall in the NCAA tournament. The Tech program is 16 and 13 all time in the NCAA tournament. So a couple of highlights, Uh, Bianca Bertolini did have her 1,000th career dig in that match, that she is only the seventh Yellow Jacket in program history to achieve 1,000 career digs. Also senior outside hitter, Tamara Oteen surpassed 400 kills for the season. They have had at least one 400 kill hitter in each of the previous eight full seasons. So kudos to Tamara for that. And also another senior, uh, senior uh, Paola Pimentel, she had 11 digs in the three 
set match. So she had made at least 10 digs in all three of her NCAA tournament matches this year. She finished the season with 473 digs, the most by any Yellow Jacket since 2016. Not just seniors contributed. Freshman setter Heloise Sorez made uh, had two service aces. So, you know, tough loss to, I would have to say, the front runner for the NCAA I was going to say, it's a team that you don't necessarily – it's either Nebraska or Wisconsin. For some reason, out out in the mid Midwest, volleyball is just different. Yeah. Now, the only thing uh, I will say is the thing about Tech Volleyball, it does not look like they're uh, down and out. It does not look like they're going to take too much of a step back. I'm sure they'll recruit well. We'll certainly follow them next year. But we uh, salute you guys for a great run in the season and a great run in the tournament. Thank you for all that you guys did, and best of luck in all your future endeavors. And, And we'll see who ends up, by the way, the city of Metro Atlanta and Gwinnett County. Uh, getting the Atlanta vibe pro volleyball team. I hope uh, maybe a couple of uh, former Yellow Jackets land up, end up on that team. Maybe even one of the seniors from this year will end up playing for the Atlanta vibe so we can continue to watch them here locally. And uh, good luck selling out the Gas South Arena because I know O'Keefe hopefully will continue to do sellouts uh, continuing next year. So well done, ladies volleyball team. We wish you could have taken down the number one team, but you certainly played well all year. Joshua, I believe you want to move over to women's basketball. I do, yes. So we have not had a ton of time on this show because of the volleyball team's great run, because of a bunch of football and basketball talk and various different sports that have kind of come in. So we wanted to make sure and specifically mention the women's team because they are playing very well right now, Stephen. And something very notable happened within the last couple days, and we'll get to that. But just because we haven't covered them, an overview of the season. So the Yellow Jackets, the Lady Jackets, stand at 7-3 and three right now. They have played six of those ten games at home, so working through their non-conference schedule. They are currently 4-0 against the state of Georgia. They have played Georgia uh, College and State. They have played Kennesaw State, Mercer, and Georgia State, and they have beaten them all. So up next is going to be the University of Georgia, those puppies over there in Athens. They will be playing them Saturday, December 16th in Athens. So if we win, we have beaten everybody in the state of Georgia, everybody that's worth talking about. Other than that... Um, and actually, you know what else is on the line? I hate to I hate to say this. Pride. Well, so far, clean old-fashioned hate. We've lost all the matches. The volleyball team lost hey, to Georgia. Don't, don't bury, don't bury the lead. Oh, we haven't sorry. talked about one of those games yet. That's the next topic, Steve. Oh. okay. We'll talk. I about thought that. we talked about that game. No. Okay. All right. Go ahead. We recorded before it. I thought. All right. All right. I, I can't remember. We'll talk about it anyway. I because I distinctly remember talking about the ranked games. We recorded right before that game. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I apologize. We recorded the Monday before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so volleyball had lost to Georgia too though. <laughs> there you anyway, go. Go ahead. Sorry about that ramble. Um so they've beaten teams like Coastal Carolina, Furman, Rice, um and New Mexico. They've lost to some teams like Creighton, like Florida, like Nebraska. So unfortunately some of the Power 5 bigger name teams that they've played, they have um had a misstep. But the big news out of the program is that on Sunday, two days ago, three when you're listening to this, Georgia Tech had a very notable performance from a very specific player, Kara Dunn, the starting guard. She put up a whopping 39 points on Georgia State, which I believe I sold the fourth most in Georgia Tech women's basketball history in a single game. 
And she did it incredibly efficiently. She was 14 of 18 from the field, 7 of 9 from the free throw line, 4 of 5 from 3. She also added 4 assists and 5, or no, 5 fouls, 5 total rebounds, as well as 1 steal. So Kara Dunn getting it done against the Georgia State Panthers. Um, Other notable performers, you also had DeAsia Thomas-Harris off the bench with 15, and you had Kayla Blackshear and Tony Morgan in double figures. So the team is playing very well so far, Stephen. When you look at the stat sheet, you have – sorry, I'm making sure I'm looking in the exact same. They've got four people in double figures, the leading scorer being Tony Morgan at 14.9, and Kara Dunn is also averaging 13.1. So this was not – out of context or like out of character, she's been a good scorer all year. Just she had one specific very good day. I believe when we talked about the women's team as they started the season, we said it might be a little bit of a rebuilding year. Hopefully, we'll be wrong. Uh, they starting off seven and three, not too shabby, and they'll get into the ACC schedule soon enough. We'll see what we have, and we will uh, do our best to try and continue to talk about them. But yeah, Morgan and Blackshear are definitely the two leaders of that team. I believe they're juniors or seniors, both of them. And so, yeah, good to know that uh, other people are starting to step up and they're filling out the roles uh, on that team. So best yeah. of luck to Fortner and, and her Lady Jackets as they continue their basketball season. Yeah. All right. Time to talk men's basketball. Yes. From and, one, and one now, hard one to the other. Now we're scared because we're not sure if we talked. Uh, you're right. I think we recorded before Clean Old Fashioned Hate, the basketball version. But we have two games to talk about, the UGA game and the Alabama A&M game. Yes. Well, should I, should I get into my recap? Voice Go here? for it. Well, we have one bad and one relatively good. Uh, we're going to start with the bad because that's chronological. Georgia Tech did play Georgia. Uh, they played at Georgia. And it was unfortunately not a banner day for the Yellow Jackets in a lot of different ways. They ended up losing this game 76-62. to Uh, Looking at the macro stuff, they did hold Georgia to 40% shooting from the field, which is not awful, but not a great defensive performance, especially when coupled with the fact that Georgia Tech, I'm going to put some numbers on you here, Stephen, 32% from the field, 30% from three, which is actually good for this team, unfortunately, and 46% from the free throw line. I believe I speak for the entire Yellow Jacket Nation when I go, yeah, yes, um, They did have more assists than Georgia, and they were pretty much even on turnovers, but the free throw discrepancy was relatively major. 21 free throws for the Bulldogs, 13 for the Yellow Jackets, although the Bulldogs shot 67% themselves, so there wasn't a massive difference. The big thing is that this was not a banner defensive game for Tech. Georgia was getting a lot of three-pointers that they were letting fly. Uh, They were getting some, some good shots at the rim. They allowed four... Bulldogs, two score and double figures, including former Georgia Tech commit Blue Kane. In his true freshman season, coming off the bench, had 12 points on four of seven shooting, all three-pointers. So he is more of a floor spacer for the Bulldogs. But um, on the Yellow Jacket side, you only had two people in double figures, Miles Kelly and Kowasi Reeves. Miles Kelly had 12 points on 15 shots, two of eight from three, so could not get the best player going, and that is typically not a great sign. Uh, Kwesi was 5 of 10, so he still had a relatively decent game. Uh, you did have 11 rebounds from Bayan Dongo, with a, as well as three blocks and three steals, but he coupled that with four turnovers. So mm. some good, some bad. Eight points from Debo off the bench on 3 of 12 shooting. So as you can tell, um, inefficient offense was kind of the name of the game here for the Yellow Jackets. Uh, Nate George, 2 of 9. 
by Nuggle, four of 12. Um, one of four from Tyson Claude, one of three from Ibrahim Asako. Just not a not a great shooting performance from the Jackets. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I didn't know if we wanted to discuss each game individually or you give the recap of the Alabama and a and Well, they're both relatively different games, so okay. let's give a brief thoughts on this. I like it. I like it. Don't you love it when we bring you into our pregame meeting on the air, ladies and gentlemen? I apologize about that. No, it's a um, – listen. We were talking about this after the game. Welcome to the roller coaster that is Georgia Tech Athletics right now of, of two new coaches building new programs. And if you watch that game the way I did, you just kept waiting for the team that had beaten Mississippi State and Duke to show up, and that team never really showed up. We couldn't hit a shot to save our lives. We missed a ton of open shots. Yeah, We played uh, – it was funny, somebody – somebody I was talking to, not you, about the game, they were like, hey, the defensive effort was there. I'm like, I saw movement. I didn't see good defense, though. I, I I did not play or coach football. I did play and coach a little bit of, of basketball. I don't – I'm not high level, but I was watching a team that, you know, maybe there was some pacing, but there, there was a lot of bad defensive plays. There were way too many wide open threes, and you can't do that. And way too many easy buckets down low. And it's not that we were outmanned. I, I was watching, going, we should not be down this much to Georgia if we played again, played defense the way we had played in the last two games. So we've seen this before. And when we do that and make it too easy for other teams, we're going to struggle. If our defense had been good, because it wasn't like Georgia got a bunch of offensive rebounds. It's just they hit enough open shots, yeah. and we didn't cause enough turnovers, and we didn't cause enough hard shots. If we cause more hard shots, I think Georgia scores in the 60s, and if we had any relatively good offense, we win that game. But our offense was bad, and our defense, we were, I think, trying. We just There were way too many breakdowns of buckets that, you know, you're leaving blue cane open. There's a reason why we recruited that guy. Yeah. He's a good shooter. Yeah. And that lefty for Georgia, I can't remember his name. Thomason. Holy crap. He just kept hitting. And they were like, hey, he's he's, he's hot. And I'm like, yeah, he's also open. Somebody get that guy. Yeah. You know, stick the, a hand in his face. He was the high scorer for the game. He had 16 points on 6 of 10 shooting. It was a lot of three balls and mid-range Js. He was he had a sweet lefty stroke. I'll give him that. It was. and But he was wide open. And, and our defensive, uh, the way our defense works, we're not going to switch. We, uh, it's, it's pretty obvious. We're going to try to fight over the top of screens. We're going to try to, to, to work through the screen. So we just didn't do a good job of that. We were trailing too much in that game in my, my estimation. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it didn't, it was not a great performance. It seems like this team does not travel well. They have not That's played well point. on the road yeah, yeah. at all. I mean, we went on the road and got absolutely boat raced by Cincinnati. Right. And so, and by the way, after we talk about this next game, our next three games are on the road, right? Against against Penn State, yes. against UMass, and first, and then the ACC then game against Florida FSU. State. So, it, so we got three road games. You got a chance to to change it. And again, roller coaster ride. We're there's we've been up, and then we're going to have these games where we go. Well, that sucked. We should have done much better than yeah. that. So we'll talk about the other game because yeah, this was a much different game for yeah. the Yellow Jackets. They were at home, yeah. which is apparently a good sign. 
Um, and they're playing Alabama A&M, one of those um, FCS teams that you, you pay a decent amount of money to to come to your stadium and you hope it's a tune-up game. We have seen Tech play these games relatively close, especially earlier this year, against teams like Howard, uh, UMass Lowell. But um, this game was not that. Georgia Tech took the win 70-49. to And I'm going to be honest, that final score is just a little misleading, which is crazy because it's 20, a 21-point win. Georgia Tech dominated this game for the first, like, 30 minutes of the game. Um, the Bulldogs, interesting, that it was back-to-back Bulldogs, uh, A&M scored 17 points in the first half. 17 points. I believe at one point, about halfway through the second, their shooting percentage for the game was 18%. They could not hit shots. Some of them, well, plenty of them were contested. Some of them were just open, and they just would not go down. And the Yellow Jackets did not have a great offensive game, not by any stretch. They shot 43% from the field, which is not awful, but not great. They shot 29% from three and 64% from the free throw line, coupled with 19 turnovers, which was a massive number, to say the least. But they did enough, and they were playing a more than enough defense to uh, keep the game at a very good distance. Problem was, kind of towards the end, the Bulldogs really started to get a lot more going to the rim. I think they, they kind of ran a little bit more in transition. And I think Georgia Tech kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, at least on defense. I mean, on offense, they still outscored them 36-32 in that half. It was just they were getting some better looks at the rim. Some of the jumpers started to fall. H- halfway through the second half, Tech was up, I think, 30 at one point. Yeah, they were, I think it was close 25 to, to 30. Yeah. And, and yeah, then you I, – I think some players sat, and I think, you know – Well, I mean, you had – Ibrahim Asako played 10 minutes. Emmer Nichols, uh, Marcus San Miguel, the walk, freshman walk-on, got some got some time at the end of the game. He uh, really lengthened the rotation. Tafar Gapare got his first significant minutes in the last couple weeks. Amari Abram, both of them contributed eight points, uh, as well as four rebounds for Abram, three for Gapare, as well as two steals. So really get trying to get as many people as he could in the game, yeah. um, Damon. Notable performers, Kowasi Reeves had his first double-double, I believe, of his college career. 20 points and 10 rebounds on 6 of 12 shooting. 6 of 6 from the line, which apparently, I think he's only missed one free throw all year. So, Kowasi has been very, very good there. Um, You also had an 8-assist game from Nate George. He continued his shooting struggles, only 1 of 3 for 2 points. And then Tyson Claude off the bench had 10 and 9. The aforementioned 8. Kyle Sturdivant had uh, 3, 4, and 2. He has four from Ibrahim Asaka, which might be a career high. He doesn't score a ton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was a game that a lot of people got an opportunity to play. And, you know, I, you saw some good flashes. I enjoyed what I saw from Kapare. He looked a little bit better. It didn't look like he was trying to do too much. Um, I do not like the fact that he doesn't ever set a screen. He only ever slips screens. But that's just a personal beef of mine. Uh, Mari Abram, I enjoyed the fact that he kind of got in for the first time in a while and it did not lose any of his – if anything, he looked more aggressive. Yeah. He looked less tentative. Uh, it was three of nine, but they were good shots. It wasn't like he was forcing anything. And a lot of the threes were right there. They were just a little off, like an inch or two. So we'll see if he can maintain his his role in this rotation, if he grabs it back from where he wants. Um, you've got it up right here, but the other notable stat was 51 rebounds for the Jackets, 23 for Alabama AM. 19 of those rebounds for the Jags were offensive rebounds. Yeah, so yikes. So we had 19 turnovers, but we had 19 offensive rebounds. So if you're going to turn the ball over a lot, you better get a lot of offensive rebounds. Look, 
we we outclass them, we outman them. Uh, it, it, give it enough time, and we did what we should have done, which was pull away, kind of turn it into a laugher. Got to give credit to Alabama A&M. They played hard the whole game. That's why in the last eight to ten minutes, they you know they they shortened the lead by hitting some stuff. But they shot twenty eight percent from the field. You know, you said 43, 43% from the field overall is not bad. It's not awful. but It's it's about what you would be at a slightly average or above average in, in college. I, you know, you always want to get to 50. I think if you get in the 40s overall, that's passable, especially if you're getting, uh, you know, 19 offensive rebounds to counter your 19 turnovers. Yeah. Uh, interesting, we only had two blocks. They had four. Uh, they had 12 steals. So so their defensive presence kind of, you know, we were a little confused at times and, and we were, there was some things of struggling, but I mean, we did what we were supposed to do. A lot of people got in the game. A lot of people got some good minutes. Yeah. Um, it, I think Damon is going to have the opportunity to kind of, his main coaching job this year is going to be who gets the minutes game in, game out, who's, who's hot, who's running well. And who's um, running it the way he wants it to? Because right. I mean, I think that's why Nate George is really maintained because the process when Nate George is out there is a lot better than when even Kyle is out there. But it, when Amari Abram was starting at point guard at the beginning of the year, yeah, no, Nate George, and we were talking about this because he he he's not a great shooter. He's not you know looking finish. He's not know. explosive. Yeah, what he is is he handles pressure, and he is what a what a point guard used to be, which is. There, if you watch him play, how many times do you see a guy catch one of his passes in a great position? Yeah, that is that is hard to teach, and so you're gonna you're gonna take some of the freshman mistakes. I, I've seen him throw some cross court passes or or get the ball up the court passes where I'm like, wow, that really got that guy in a great position, even if it's not uh, always an assist, a pure assist. He got a lot of open shots for people, so. I mean, he and I think he and Stur- and and Sturdivant are are making a very good combination. Yeah, Nate is not going to be oh, put it in his hands and let him go get a shot. Put it in his hands and let him find the better pass for someone else to get the better shot. That's that's going to be his role. He is the conductor. Yeah. So uh, we will finish by saying that uh, you know the next game uh, for the Jackets. So the Jackets now stand at at. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah. What, what is it? What are we five and three? Yes. Yeah. So the Jackets are five and three. We head to Madison Square Garden to play Penn State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We then uh, that's on the sixteenth, so the same day as the women playing Georgia, and uh, then we play uh, on Thursday the twenty first against UMass, who is they're five and two at this point. But they, I looked at their schedule; they haven't really played anybody. UMass is. I don't think that they're a premier program the way they were when like Marcus Camby was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it? Was that which which one of the that was Calipari. scandal? I was like, yeah. which one of the scandal ridden yeah, coaches was that? All right, so we play Penn State, we play UMass, and then first of the year Wednesday the third we play FSU, and that'll be on the road. Yeah. And looking at looking at Boston Penn State's College. schedule, they um they've they've fattened up on some cupcakes. Their best win is against Ohio State, which is not. They're they're an off and on program. They they've lost they lost five in a row at one point this year to Texas A and M, Butler, VCU, Bucknell, and Maryland. So they've played some teams in their own conference already, and they've lost. 
So we'll see how this goes. Again, Georgia Tech does not travel well, but I do not believe Penn State's a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. Well, we play Saturday against Penn State. We play Thursday against UMass. And then we wait for basically an entire week and won't play till Wednesday the 2nd. Actually, we play two. We have, yeah, so Wednesday we have two weeks off. Sorry. So we basically get two weeks off after the Christmas. UMass game. So we get to go home for Christmas. Yeah. So that'll be, you know, we're not playing in a Christmas tournament. Half, half this team is going to have to leave the country. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Send your letters. And well, email. it's just there. I mean, I'm what is it? But buy is from New Zealand. Um, Sacco's from Canada. Capare. I'm, I'm not sure Isn't where Capare from Europe. I think. Ooh, I, sorry, Tafari. I know he played like high school wise. I'm pretty sure he played. He might be from New Zealand, and I'm not even 100 percent sure. But there's there's a lot of there's a lot of foreign players on this team, mm, especially there. with like and then a lot of a lot of kids from Georgia. Yeah, you br- either all come home, bringing so. the kids home or, or bringing them overseas. The other forty nine states, get out of here. Yeah, I like it. All right, so ah, time ah, get off my lawn. All right, time to talk football. It's time for the grab bag. It's time for tidbits and bits and tips and tricks and factoids from Joshua. Call it the notebook. Yeah. So we're <laughs> it's gonna- the handy dandy Georgia Tech football notebook. There's a Blues Clues <laughs> reference. So. So we're just gonna we're gonna start with some of the more interesting factoids that we're gonna be talking about. So for one, um, Aaron Philo, Georgia Tech, longtime Georgia Tech quarterback commit, he made a bit of news. So one, he is a high school state champion. Uh, Prince Avenue Christian was playing, I believe they're one A. Yes. Don't quote me on that. They're one of the lower, like in yes. terms of student population divisions, but they won the one uh, A state championship in Georgia pretty handily, from what I saw. I believe the last score that I saw was 42-26. But Aaron Philo, in the game, broke a Georgia State record for passing career passing yards. Trevor broke Trevor Lawrence's record. Up to about 13,000. And he did it in front of Brent Key, or Buster Faulkner, Chris Winkie, and I believe Brent Key. They were all in attendance for the championship game. Um, By the way, Brent Key has been putting in work. He has been getting in home with a lot of guys. Christian Pritchett, Trey Horn. I've seen some pictures. He is he is getting in the living rooms in this Good. Christmas season with these these kids. So that was the um, that was the interesting one that I saw, as well as Georgia Tech has sold all of their allotted tickets for the Gasparilla Bowl against UCF. So kudos to the fans. We're starting to buy tickets already, showing up, showing out. I assume part of it is because they are playing locally, and if they were playing in the Birmingham Bowl, it might have been just a little different. But either way. Well, the Birmingham Bowl is actually closer. Yeah, so playing in Tampa is certainly going to help, I think. Uh, It's funny. I was listening to uh, Chris Cotter, who is on a local radio station. He also does play-by-play for football for ESPN. And they were talking about the bowl games he was going to be doing. And last year, he's not doing the Gasparilla Bowl this year. He had done it last year, and he said uh, he had done the the, – Fenway Bowl and then was going to go to the Gasparilla Bowl. He goes, you know, the Fenway Bowl was cold. And he goes, I thought, well, I'm going to Tampa. At least it'll be better. And he goes, and that was like the historic bad cold weather (laughs) that came through Florida. He goes, so I was freezing my butt off at both at both games. And I thought, ah, I got to do a bowl in Tampa and it's cold. So he's not doing it this year, but he wished Georgia Tech luck and said, I hope it's at least what it's supposed to be, 80 degrees and nice. Yeah, it's nice to – it's funny as uh, as we had that long run of Chan and Paul going to all these bowl games and everybody – it's funny. You get your your plethora of riches and you get uh, – you get um, 
you get a little jealous or you get a little used to, ah, oh, another worthless bowl game. But stay out of a bowl game for five years, and all of a sudden you get excited about going yeah. to the Gasparilla Bowl. Absolutely. And, and uh, so far, I so our, so why don't we segue? You said you had some news and notes about maybe who might not be playing because they they have declared or are probably going to yes. declare. So I was going to mention draft. this. These are the guys that Georgia Tech probably stands to lose. I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's very, very hard to compile a lot of this data because of the COVID year. So I'm going to give you the redshirt seniors who I believe have used up pretty much all of their eligibility, um, except for maybe one or two. And then the seniors who stand to leave, I'm not 100%, they might have the COVID year. They might, some of them might be able to take a medical redshirt if they got injured. I'll, I'll mention that. But these guys will probably not be coming back next year for Georgia Tech. Um, the ones definitely not coming back that I've seen, Miles Sims, um, our number one corner. He is a redshirt senior. He's used up his eligibility. I expect him to get some looks in the draft. I mean, a 6-3 corner will always, always yeah. get uh, looks. Uh, Dante Smith, he's like a six-year senior. He's definitely gone. Um, Braylon Oliver, the transfer from Minnesota, one of the linebackers. Paul Mawala, the transfer from Notre Dame. He's already announced he's going to be testing the NFL draft. I would figure he'll get some late-round looks. I see him as like a special teamer, maybe a two-down linebacker. Uh, Jalen King's a redshirt senior, as well as Connor Scaglione, the guard from Princeton. He was a grad transfer when he came over. So um, other than that, the entire offensive line is coming back. That was announced as well. Weston Franklin, um, Ethan McKenna, everybody has basically said they will be coming back next year. I think it's going to be very interesting at the Gasparilla Bowl. By the way, two quick points about – one more quick point about the Gasparilla Bowl. Friday, December 22nd, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. If you're not going to the game, it is on ESPN. Great chance to play in prime time on ESPN. Second thing is, just because the allotted tickets have been sold, I we were talking about this pre-show, I believe there are still general tickets yeah. available. So it's just they give a portion of tickets to the colleges. Set up the, 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 the school section because right. they, they'd like to do that. And so those have been sold out, but there are probably still plenty of tickets available and sponsor tickets and all that kind of stuff. So you know, if you were thinking of going and, and you hear us say, oh, the allotted tickets, go go check out where you can buy tickets for the Gasparilla Bowl. Yeah. And you should be able to, to find some people. If you know anybody in Tampa, find out if they got a connection with one of the local sponsors and get some tickets. So Absolutely. But it's going to be interesting. Second point about it is all those guys you just listed, it will be very interesting who wants to play in the bowl game. I think most of the, I think a portion of those guys are going to play. A guy like Dante Smith. I think we'll play. Yeah. I think somebody that's been there the whole time so far has the, a chance to play. The only guy that's announced I'm I'm testing I'm going to the NFL draft is, is Mawala. And, so, and he was a grad transfer and so he so may we'll not see. play in the game and that's we'll fine. see what happens. But yeah. um the other four so this four seniors, like not redshirt seniors, just straight seniors, Dylan Leonard, Andre White, Luke Benson, and then Sylvain Yanjune, although he got hurt this year. So I don't know if he'll be able to take the medical red shirt or not. I'd have to do a lot more digging yeah. than I was able to do for this. So Tech does stand to lose a good amount of talent. Um, you know, plenty of tight ends, three linebackers, all of them were in the rotation this year, um, specifically Moala and Braylon Oliver. Um, so we'll see, um, we'll see how it goes. They obviously it's not a ton, but it's at least a good number and plenty of talent. But Steven. Tech's bringing in players. There will be new guys on the team. And are not necessarily losing that many in the transfer no. pool. So before we talk about the transfers coming in, we're going to talk about the transfers going out. Yep. Georgia Tech is last in the ACC in players that have entered the transfer pool. Which is a good thing to be last in. That That is that is incredibly impressive. I think from what I remember, 
on the list I saw, there's only like three or four programs that are in the single digits. There's a lot of teams in the double digits. There's some teams as high as 19. Georgia Tech currently still sits at five. And they've gotten, you know, the verbal pledges of I'm coming back next year from a ton of important players. From Jamal Haynes to Eric Singleton to all of their offensive line players to Malik Rutherford. I mean, a lot of the main hitters for this offense have all said I'm coming back. The biggest name that's jumped in the portal so far is Kyle Kennard. But other than Kyle Kennard, Juju Lewis hadn't played in two years. Wing Green hadn't played like three or four years. Uh, Jamie Felix played a little bit his freshman year, but then kind of got overshadowed. And I think Trey Cooley, having a couple more years of eligibility, kind of pushed him out the door. And then Keenan Johnson had played off and on, but um, I think he just had one more year and wanted to go somewhere else, see if he could get better exposure. So other than those five, Georgia Tech now has not one, not two, but three incoming transfers as of this recording date, Tuesday, December 12th. We're going to talk about them, Steven. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Let's hear Let's it. I'm excited. It. So, All right. Ooh. So that's a net loss of only two so already. Far. So far, only two. So we're going to go um, chronologically because that's how I typically have them set up. So the first one is a cornerback. So we already have somebody who might replace Keenan Johnson in the rotation, and that is Warren Burrell. He is a cornerback coming over from the University of Tennessee, so another SEC DB. There's a couple of them in the um, – in the Georgia Tech uh, backfield right now from Amari Harvey, who came from Auburn. Um, Kenyatta Watson did come from Texas, I believe. And that, they're now an SEC school. So uh, coming out of high school, Warren Burrell came from North Gwinnett, who his high school coach is a, currently an analyst for Georgia Tech. Ooh. So that, they're, they're, that might be the big connection. Um, so he was a top 70 player in the state of Georgia when he came out. He was getting you know NFL draft projections of round four to seven. Um, and so he's, he was a pretty big name and he actually did have a pretty big role for the volunteers in 2021. When he was a junior, he started all 12 games, had 41 tackles, seven passes defended, two tackles for loss. He was a starter for the team. Unfortunately, in 2022, he suffered, um, a season ending injury two games in, he had to take a medical red shirt. And so then last year when he came in, he was a redshirt senior. So this will be, he has one more year. I believe he's a grad transfer for Georgia Tech. Last year when he came back, um, he didn't play a ton. Like he got into a lot of the games, but he didn't play a lot of snaps. He was more of a rotational guy. I would assume coming off a season ending injury, he was probably working himself back into shape, especially if it was like a lower body thing. You know, one of those things, it takes a year to kind of get fully healthy. For example, Ronald Acuna. Um, took a year to really start to look like Ronald Acuna after the ACL. So there's a chance that he comes in and he looks like the Warren Burrell of old, and he's a starting caliber corner for Georgia Tech. Okay. Uh, the other one, the next one, is a younger guy. Well, no, not necessarily a younger guy. He's coming over from Louisville. So ACC to ACC. Linebacker Jackson Hamilton. Guess what? Another local kid out of Roswell, Georgia. Went to Blessed Trinity Catholic yep. High School. He was borderline top 100 player coming out of high school. Um, he does have a brother who plays cornerback at Vanderbilt, Elijah Hamilton. Um, but at Louisville, unfortunately, it doesn't seem like he played a ton. Um, if I'm getting this up, he redshirted his freshman year in 2021, uh, played in only two games. And then in 2022, he did not play a ton either. Uh, he had one tackle against NC state, one tackle against Wake Forest and one tackle against USF. And that's all they really mention. 
And then in 2023, if I'm seeing this right, it looks like they didn't really have a ton mentioned for his stats. So it looks like he has not played a ton for Louisville. Great. He's going to get a chance to see if he can crack the lineup here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's got a he's got a good uh he's got a good frame on him. He's like 6'1, 225. So um overall a solid, interesting pickup. 2023, sorry, I just pulled up his stats. He had 11 tackles, and so in 2023 he got his most playing time, and he at least got some tackles, but probably a rotational. All right. Who's your third? And then the third one is a tight end. <laughs> I did mention we're losing two tight ends potentially in right. Dylan Leonard and um Luke Benson. We still yep. have Brett Scyther, touchdown machine. Yep. But we have another touchdown machine coming in, Stephen. Oh. Jackson Hawes oh. from Yale. Mm. The Ivy League pipeline is growing stronger by the day to Georgia Tech. Yeah, yeah. Um, 6'5", 250 pounds at tight end, Jackson Hawes. He was not – I mean, if you go to 24-7, you're not really going to get a ton of um, information about the guy. But he was, um, I believe, an outside linebacker coming from Salt Lake City, Utah. And this past season, he's been known as a blocking tight end for most of his career. At least that's what the scouting report will tell you. <clears throat> but this past season, he led Yale in touchdown catches with four. Woo! Which I think says something about Yale's <laughs> offense. But also, I mean, he's a big body tight end, obviously 6'5", 250. Um, kind of hard to, to box the kid out if he gets position on you. He has 35 catches in his career for 371 yards, six touchdowns. So... I, he's not going to be like a he like might, a chain mover. Listen, he might replace Benson if Benson decides to yeah. to walk away or or needs to. Um, yeah, our our depth at tight end, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and go get your grad degree and good luck to you. And I hope you help the team. I mean, Adam to Scyther and then Adam to the USF kid that we got last year, Jackson Long. Something about guys named Jackson apparently. That's like there's a bunch of them. All right, so depth on the team. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Potential starters, probably more rotation guys, but that's what you need. I believe in terms of the signing class, we also had one. Uh, two. I, two. There's two freshmen. Oh. Yes. Can you give it to us quick? I, I can try. So Georgia Tech flipped one of them, and that's Caleb Dozier, linebacker out of Headland, Alabama. 6'3", 225. Interesting frame. Reminds me of Jacob Cruz from last year, if you remember him out of Kennesaw. Either way, um, he's about 1,100 nationally in the 24-7 composite. He was a Mississippi State commit for a while, and then they had a coaching change. And he decommitted right after his official visit to Tech. Well, I believe the official reason was he realized that Cowbells gives him a migraine. So There's he that decided too. to come to Tech. There's well that done. too. But Good he choice. also had offers from Coastal Carolina, Houston, our bowl opponent, UCF. Um, so there were at least some teams that were interested in him. Um, he's listed in some spots as a tight end, other spots as a linebacker. Looks like he can kind of be whatever. He's an athlete, yeah. right? That's the big one. But the biggest commit is Yushe Ilo out of McIntosh High School in Peachtree City, Georgia. He is a top 800 player in the 24-7 composite. Um, Top 80 defensive defensive lineman. 6'6", 245. He is a pass rusher. Um, In 2022, as a junior, he had 10 sacks. I'm going to try to get the stats for a lot of these guys for 2023 because the season is just now wrapped up. But he had um, a nice offer sheet himself. He had 26 total offers. We're talking about Virginia, Coastal Carolina, Duke, James Madison, Louisville, Missouri, NC State, Ole Miss, uh, West Virginia, Georgia, Clemson. I mean, he he had some heavy hitters coming after him. Yeah. He he officially picked Tech. So making some moves on the freshman front to replace some of the guys that have decommitted 
If you're into that sort of thing, Georgia Tech's freshman class currently ranks 36th in the nation. The transfer class is 38th, according to 24-7. Well, it's interesting. There was a little quick uh, story on Georgia Tech rivals. Uh, He canceled a trip to Minnesota after visiting Tech and basically made a commitment at the end of his visit. He said uh, he was particularly impressed by defensive line coach Marco Coleman and head coach Brent Key. Um, Got to see the campus, got to walk around, see where I'm going to be. Uh, He said for the next couple of years. No, no, four years, I hope. Um, Basically, just uh, he he liked what he heard. He he said he'd take me where I want to be, and if I'm ready, I'm ready to sign. So, And one of the the legit quote was, Coach Key turned this place around in less than a year. I I think people are seeing what what Coach Key is starting, and they want to be a part of it. You know, these, yeah. these guys are smart. These these guys recognize something is happening here, and I want to be a part of it. So kudos to the coaching staff. Kudos to uh, Coach Key. And keep up the good work. Keep doing, putting in the hard work of being in people's living rooms and finding the right people who are going to build the right culture. Yeah. And, you know, I, look at all the guys who came in from last year and look at how much they contributed, and we thank them for that. So there's just a note. Trajan Greco is going to be announcing his commitment on January 6th. Georgia Tech is still top three, so they are not out of the running. They're USC and Missouri are the other two, so there's a chance he doesn't come back. So you're saying there's a chance he comes back. All right. And there's other guys that are considered at least warm on Tech. Uh, Maurice Davis out of Albany is one that is mentioned. Um, A couple offensive linemen, um, as well as linebacker Markel Davis. But then you've got... Um, Kai Greer and Favor Edwin are both considered warm to tech. So keep those names in mind. And there's still probably plenty of transfers coming. I, there's offers out there. Rod McKenzie, if you follow him on Twitter, he retweets almost everybody that announces they have an offer from tech. So if you want to know who we're offering, go check it out. Guys from Rhode Island, Middle Tennessee State. Very interesting stuff. So our prophecy at the beginning of this episode turned to be true. This is one of the reasons why we would love to talk about every sport every week. But if we did, we'd go over 40 minutes. Yes. And we did today. I know that you guys have stuff to do. We're taking over the world as tech people. And listen, we could not do this without you. We started this just as a little pet project over a year ago, and we wanted to talk about Georgia Tech Athletics. We're over a year in, and Joshua and I continue to be humbled by the numbers we see and the numbers of people who are listening, and we thank every one of you for being here. All we ask, actually, we can't ask for anything. We're so thankful you're here to listen, but we would like to have one little favor to ask. We don't go after any sponsors. We don't do any big social media campaigns. If you need any proof of that, just know that the only thing we push is Joshua's email address, joshuajulian26 at outlook.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the show, let us know about that. All we ask is every single one of you know at least one more person who's a Georgia Tech alum or fan? And you, we know the reason we named the show what it is is because it's a great little marketing message because when you see someone in tech gear, you ask, hey, what's the good word? And they say, to hell with Georgia. Yeah. And then all we ask is maybe you go, by the way, that's a great podcast. Search what's the good word. You don't even have to say great. Hey, that's a podcast that talks about tech athletics and When they talk about all the sports, oh my Lord, I wonder if they're ever going to shut up. But at least it's slightly entertaining, very informative, and it's one place I can go to hear about what's happening across Georgia Tech Athletics. We thank you for listening. We thank you for anybody you share this podcast with. We hope to double the audience at least one or two more times. 
because we know you guys are out there. And so we want to be your resource for Georgia Tech Athletics. And all we do is ask the one most important question. What's the good word?